Several weeks ago, we began this deeper walk, if you will, this deeper walk through these 10 God-given instructions that help us to experience the love of God. We began with the first commandment, and we called it the fundamental rule. Sadly, a lot of believers have allowed a lot of other gods into their life. Gods like comfort. Gods like money. Gods like power. Gods like addiction. Gods like desire. To enter into their lives and clutter up and make a mess of their lives. God says he actually insists that there be no other gods, period. In the first commandment, he says, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, the second commandment was the focus rule for not only must we worship the right God, but we got to worship him the right way. And that's very important to God. Uh, when you make an image, it distorts who God is. And an image can never be all that our God is. So because that is a fact, God says in the second commandment, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness that you will worship. In the third commandment, we called it the frivolous rule. And we learned that when we speak to God, or when we speak about God, we always begin by making His name holy. That's very important to God, and that ought to be very important to you as well. God knows that nobody can experience the love of God when we devalue the very name by which we know Him. And that includes using phrases like, Oh my God! We have to be careful with that. For the Lord says in the fourth commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The fifth commandment, or the fourth commandment rather, was the frailty rule. And we learned that in that rule that every single week of your life, God offers you a love gift. It's a love gift. It's a day of rest. It's called the Sabbath in the Old Testament. And the reason for that love gift was to enable you to disengage from the rat race, to get you to a place where you're getting refreshed with the Lord, but also that you might connect with God in a deeper way. So that's what this is all about. is collectively coming together, brothers and sisters in Christ, to connect with God in a deeper way. Therefore, God says, remember the rest day. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The fifth commandment was the family rule. And in that rule, the Lord says, if you will love your parents like I love you, if you'll love them like I love you, with no demands, with no expectations, with no conditions, it will increase both the quantity and the quality of your life. He does that, and therefore he says, honor your father and your mother. The sixth commandment was the felony rule, and in that rule we learn that murder is a crime against God. 
You may think that it's against the person that dies, but murder is a crime against God because God created life. So it's a murder, it's a crime against him. The Bible also teaches, though, that whomever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life dwelling in him. God's love simply cannot coexist with physical, emotional, or spiritual hatred. In the eyes of God, hatred is just the same as murder. And in doing, he says, you shall not murder. The seventh commandment was the fidelity rule. And in that rule, we learned that while murder is a crime against God, uh, adultery is a crime against marriage, which God created. So adultery is also a crime against God. But once again, we found that Jesus extends that command far beyond the physical, and he teaches us that lust is adultery in the heart. And I just want to repeat this for what he said. You've heard that what has been said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Perhaps the biggest, most clear biblical indictment against pornography is contained in Matthew 5 verse 28. Put that in your pocket and carry it with you. Because God loves you so incredibly, He says to you, you shall not commit adultery. Now the eighth commandment was the fraud rule. And in that rule we found out that God owns everything. Amen? God's the true owner of everything. We are only stewards. All we are doing is managing what God's given we're just managers. We're stewards. And if you go and steal from a steward, it's the same as stealing from God. Because all they are is managers. So you go stealing from somebody, you're stealing from God. And God wants us to learn in this life to become a giver, not a taker. And so he says, you shall not steal. Today we move forward into the ninth commandment. And we're going to call the ninth commandment the false witness rule. And in the false witness rule of Exodus chapter 20, uh, verse 16, God says you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. We'll talk about what that means here in a second, but I want to begin a preface, if you will, by telling you that in this life we're living there can be no meaningful relationships. There can be no significant business dealings. There can be no fellowship with God apart from truth. God is all about the truth. Honesty is the foundation of a life filled with the love of God. Truth is the currency, if you will, in the kingdom of God. If you expect to do anything worthwhile, if you expect to do anything that has one ounce of salt to it in the kingdom of God, then you can't do it by lying. If you want to do anything worthwhile in the kingdom of God, it will only happen when you're honest. 
when you're honest with yourself, when you're honest with other people, and when you're honest with the Lord your God. On the other hand, and if you're listening, say amen. amen. If you're listening, say amen. amen. On the other hand, anyone who lies becomes in that moment an agent of Satan. Anyone who lies becomes in that moment an agent of the enemy of God. In that moment, you start doing Satan's work instead of God's work. Well, what are you talking about, Brother Bill? I don't think you know what you're talking about. Well, listen to what Jesus said. He was accusing some of the Jews of lying. And in that verse of John 8, 44... Just listen to what he said. He said to those lying Jews, You are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father is what you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie... He speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of them. So when you lie, you're not doing God's work. When you lie, you are doing the work of the devil. That's plain and simple. But on the other hand, in John chapter 8, Jesus also explains what truth does in the life of a believer. He says, if you abide in my word, if you abide in truth, if you continue, if you walk the walk, amen, if you abide in my truth, you are my disciples indeed, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you. I'm glad you know that, amen. Friends, because God loves you so dearly, he sent the very embodiment of, of truth, Jesus Christ, he, to die for you so that you could be saved. And Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. He said it, not me. Jesus said it. He is the one. He is the truth. God commanded that we shall not lie. And he commanded that because he wants us to be transformed into the image of truth, the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And friend, that cannot happen if your life is built on lies. Therefore, God said, you shall not commit false witness against your neighbor. Now we're going to move on to the tenth and final commandment, and we're going to call it the final rule. Amen? And in the final rule of verse 17 of Exodus chapter 20, God says, you shall not covet. I'll clarify that in a moment. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. I read about a pastor who made a phone call to a very rich member of his congregation that rarely ever came to church. 
And in that phone call, he said to that rich fellow, he said, our records show that you have never given to the church. And we were wondering if you'd like to help out a little bit in some of our ministries. And that rich man replied, well, sir, do your record, uh, records also show that I have an elderly mother left penniless by our father? Do your records show that I have a disabled brother who is unable to work? Do your records show that I have a widowed sister with small kids who can barely make ends meet? Man, that pastor was a little bit embarrassed and he said, Well, no, sir, our records don't show those things. And that rich fellow said, Well, if I don't give to them, what makes you think I'd give to you? Later, same guy came down with a terminal illness. Imagine that, amen? And finally, he begins to get serious about where he's going to spend eternity. So he calls that same pastor. And he asks, what can I do to account for the fact that I've never given God much time and I've never given the church a dime? And the pastor kind of rubs his hands together and he says, oh, you're finally getting around to it, eh? And convicted in his heart, that old miser said, okay, what about if I give my entire fortune to the church? Every single cent I own, what if I give it all to the church? Will that do it? Will that guarantee that I will go to heaven when I die? And that pastor thought for a second. He said, you know, it's worth a try. <laughs> now what that story shows is it shows something that's very common both in and out of church. That story shows that people have a greed problem. And friends, greed and coveting are almost the same sin. Greed is just the excessive desire for anything, but especially wealth and possessions, while coveting is the desire for the rights and property of others. But both of them, greed and coveting, come about for this reason. The reason a person is greedy or the reason a person is coveting is because he or she is not content with what God has given them. They think for some reason that they deserve more. They think they deserve something better than what he's given them. Now, in God's list for a great life, I mentioned that there are two sections. The first section, commandments 1 through 4, concentrate on how we are to love God. And in the second section, commandments 5 through 9 focus on how we are to love others. But I found it interesting that here in commandment number 10, it's not only a commandment about behavior, it's also a commandment about the heart. How many of you know that God sees your heart? He knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're feeling. He knows when you think you've been done wrong. He sees the heart. And when we are displeased, unsatisfied with what he's given us, that displeases him. Because he knows what you need. He knows what's best for you. 
And when you express displeasure in your heart for what he's given you, well, that makes God displeased as well. Coveting. It's really more than only wanting. Coveting is really a form of lust. Coveting is allowing our heart to fantasize about something we weren't meant to have. When I want what you got, I'm fantasizing about what I could have if I had only what you got. But guess what? God didn't intend for me to have it or I would have it, amen? He intended for you to have it. So why should I lust after something that you've got? This commandment provides six examples of some objects that we are not to covet. The Bible says that we're not to cover, covet houses or spouses. We're not to covet servants or oxen or donkeys or any other possession. And when I read that, I see it's pretty obvious. That God doesn't want a single thing that somebody else has got to draw my attention away from what he's already given me. Did y'all hear that? He doesn't want what you got to draw my attention away from what he's already given to me. It's very important that we understand that. Because see, the Bible is filled with lives that have been torn apart by coveting. Jesus was teaching one day, and one man shouted out from the back of the crowd, and he said, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. He was lusting after his brother's money. And Jesus responded saying, Take heed. You know what that means, right? It means listen up. You better listen to me. Beware of covetousness. Beware of coveting, for one's life does not consist of the things, say things. One's life does not consist of things that one possesses. Friend, that sums up the Tenth Commandment. That sums it up. It comes down to this. Jesus came to provide us with abundant life. He came to provide us with abundant life in the here and now and the there and then. And it don't have a single thing to do with things. So what is abundant life to you? Is abundant life in God's eyes the same as abundant life in your eyes? Where do you find fulfillment? Where do you find it? Do you find fulfillment in the abundant collection of things? Or do you find fulfillment in the goodness of God who has given you everything you need? Paul answered that question when he wrote to his little, uh, his little pastor friend, Timothy, and he said, Godliness with contentment is great gain. We need to put 1 Timothy 6, 6 in our back pocket and carry it around with us all day long. But you know, the Bible gives an even clearer reason why we ought not covet. 
It's found in Hebrews 13.5. And the Bible says, let your conduct be without covetousness. Let your life be without craving what somebody else has got. Be content with such things as you have. Why? For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. See, the secret to not coveting, the secret to not craving what your neighbor has is to be content with the presence and provision of God. As I look out just amongst this small group of people, I see a group of people who God has blessed, and I mean richly. Amen? Every one of us are blessed more than we deserve. Would you agree with that? So let us be content with God's provision. Let us be content that God wants to be present in our lives. He doesn't have to do that, but he wants to. I mean, if you got everything else that the world offers, but you ain't got God... What's the use? What's the use? God says, am I not enough? Have I not given you enough? I mean, are you going to spend the rest of your life craving after trinkets and pursuing earthly riches when you're an heir to the kingdom of God? If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you got something waiting in heaven that this earth could never bring you. You're an heir or an heiress to the kingdom of God. Do you want the scraps off the table of the earth? Or do you want the banquet at the feast of God? God says coveting is something that harms you. It's something that harms your family, and it's something that harms your relationship with me. Therefore, I'm asking you, be content with me, and do not covet. Writer Dorothy Sayers says that there are two kinds of laws in this life. There is the law of the stop sign... And there is the law of the fire. The law of the stop sign is written by people and by communities and enforced with fines. You don't stop at the stop sign. You're probably going to get a, a ticket, a fine. And if you don't quit running the stop sign, that fine can be increased. But you know, if the community wants to, they can also take that stop sign up. It's all up to the city council. That's the law of the stop sign. But there's also this law of the fire. And the law of the fire is a lot different. The law of the fire says, touch me and you will get burned. Touch me, and you're going to get burned. City councils, state senates, the United States Congress, the President of the United States, the United Nations could pass new laws 
From now on, fire is not going to burn. You could even vote on it. And it could be unanimous. But that ain't going to change the fact that if somebody the very next day goes and touches that fire, he or she is going to get burnt. See, that's the law of the fire. And the law of the fire is a lot like God's laws. God's laws, it don't matter if you voted on it or not. It don't matter if you agree or not. It doesn't matter who's watching you or not. See, you ain't going to break God's laws. Did you hear me? You're not going to break God's laws. You're going to break yourself. Mess with the fire and you're going to get... It's like that bumper sticker that says, gravity is not just a good idea. It's the law. Amen? There ain't nothing you can do about gravity. It is what it is. See, God's commandments are not illogical. Nor are God's commandments flexible. They are what they are. And what you need to know, though, is God's not saying, hey, here's a list of rules for you to follow. And if you don't follow my rules, I'm going to punish you. That's not what God says. Instead, God is saying this. He's saying, let me tell you how my world works. I have created this world to be beautiful. I've created this world to be awesome for you. That's the way I designed it. I've created this world so that you could enjoy life, so that you could have joy in it and fellowship with other people in it. But listen carefully. There are hazards to avoid. There are hazards to avoid. And if you ignore the hazards, then you will bring punishment upon yourself. You'll bring punishment upon yourself. So what are the Ten Commandments all about? It's kind of like God has said there's going to be a test, but I'm giving you all the answers in advance. This is how you live effectively in the world that I've created. And here are the answers how to do it. See, he wants you to pass the test. He don't want you to pass it with a D. He wants you to pass it with an A+. Amen? He wants you to pass the test with flying colors. That's how the, love, the law of God reveals the love of God. Because he wants you to pass with flying colors. And these Ten Commandments we've been studying, they show everybody who will trust God that he wants the very best for them. He says if you'll obey these commandments, if you'll take heed to the answers to the test, then you'll pass. You'll get an A+. And you won't bring punishment upon yourself.
Once again, whenever I read the Ten Commandments, here's what I hear. I hear the voice of God saying, I love you, Bill. I always have, and I always will. And God just didn't tell me. God also demonstrated that love, and while I was still a sinner, a dirty, filthy, rotten sinner, Christ died for me. He died for those sins. But you know what? Just because he died for my sins doesn't erase the law of the fire. Even though I'm saved, if I go to sticking my hand in the fire, what's going to happen? It's going to get burnt. I'm saved. I just might get up to heaven and find I'm a little bit burned up. Amen. I pray not. So here's the big test question for you. You ready? You ready to say amen? Here's the big test question. God's already given you the answer. You will spend eternity somewhere. The test question is, where will you spend eternity? Have you trusted in the answer? Have you trusted in the one and only answer, Jesus Christ? Because that's the only way you can guarantee that your eternity will be spent in heaven. We would be so remiss as brothers and sisters in Christ if we didn't offer at the end of every service an opportunity for someone that hasn't made their relationship with Jesus Christ a fact not to do it. 